today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's not how much we give. It's that we give. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that it's not how much we have. It's how much has us. It's not what's in our garage or the amount of money in our bank account. It's what's in our heart. And man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. It's easy to look at others, imagine what they're able to give, and compare that to our own giving. To feel as though maybe our giving isn't as important to God's kingdom. However, Pastor J.D. teaches us that God looks beyond the amount we give and directly into our hearts, our attitudes towards and willingness to give. We're to value God more than we value our possessions. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with part one of his message, Money and Giving. On Sunday mornings, we're going through 2 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're going to begin in chapter 8, after I just do one thing here. And our text will be verses 1 through 5, so you can turn there in your Bibles. We'll begin in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Corinth and says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They, verse 4, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. So, Today's teaching is going to be part one of a new series I've titled Money and Giving. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) It's chapters like this that are actually one of the main reasons that I'm so glad I teach the Bible expositionally, book by book, and chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, and this for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that I can't be rightly accused of picking pet topics like money, especially if and when giving is down. I assure you that is absolutely not the case. And this is, again, one of those reasons that we go through the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. Another reason I love teaching through the Bible expositionally, is because in so doing, you sort of by default deal with the whole counsel of God concerning 
all of life's issues, whether it's marriage or divorce or parenting or finances or jobs and careers and businesses at all. I have to confess that if I taught topically, which is harder, by the way, it's actually simpler to simply teach God's Word simply. You don't have to come up with a theme or a topic. It's right there for you. It's already there in God's Word as it should be. But if I were to teach topically, that's not to say that we don't have topical series from time to time. By the way, I, I, I promise you we'll never do like a 12 week series on tithing. You know, you need to tithe. And then we're going to take like three offerings throughout the, you know, entire sermon. One at the beginning, one in the middle, and then we're not going to do that. <laughs> but if I were to teach topically, I'm just as prone as anyone else to steer away from uncomfortable and even controversial topics such as the one that's before us today. You might be surprised to know that the Bible has a lot to say about money and possessions. There are over 800 references in Scripture to money, and there are over 2,000 references in Scripture to money and possessions and how we as Christians handle those things. In the Gospels, the Savior himself spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell combined. I don't know if you knew that or not. And to me, this speaks to the importance of how Christians are to manage their money and possessions. The late Larry Burkett, of whom I was a big fan and a student of, used to always say that money is a barometer by which you can gauge the life of a Christian. In other words, how you handle your money as stewards of God's money says a lot about you as a Christian. But it also speaks to why money is referred to as currency. You ever wonder why we call money currency? Well, it's because currency comes from the word current in the sense that everything operates and functions by way of the flow or the circulation of money. I suppose you could see it as blood, the blood flow, and the blood circulation is how the body is able to function and operate. And so too with money, the current, the flow, the circulation of money is how things operate and function. And this is why I believe that the Bible has a lot to say about money. Now, for those who read ahead to stay ahead, you already know that both chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians deal with money and even more specifically giving. But here's the thing. As I was preparing my heart to teach these two chapters, one of the things the Lord ministered to me was that he has a word 
a word fitly spoken for us as a church body concerning this topic of money and giving. Now, please know that in order for me to teach this, I first have to own this. It's been said that you cannot impart that which you do not possess. In other words, God works me over pretty good uh, in, in and through and with the text before I stand behind this pulpit and teach from God's Word. And oftentimes it is a, a searching of my heart personally, especially as a pastor. And it deals with, in my life as a pastor, the issue of money and tithing and giving as a pastor. Now, I mention this because it's important that you know that I tithe to this God's church. I give to this ministry. And I do so knowing that it's God's church and, as we're going to talk about here shortly, it's also God's money. And I want to be found faithful in the stewardship of this God's money. Now, let me hasten to say that I do not know how much you give, contrary to what some might think. I, I don't want to know. That's of my own volition. I choose not to know who gives how much. And conversely, you also don't know how much I give either. Now, one of the reasons for this is that if we're honest with ourselves, we're all prone to view people differently, are we not? Simply on the basis of how much they give, or worse yet, how much they don't give. James talks about this in his epistle, when he talks about how we show favoritism. One of the reasons I, because I know my flesh, <laughs> Nothing within me. <laughs> my, my flesh is like your flesh. So don't look at me all spiritual. You're just as dirty, rotten of a stinking sinner as I am. So, but I know my flesh, man. I tell you, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And I know when James talks about somebody who's really wealthy and they got lots of bling and they come to church. I mean, as the pastor, you're like, hey, welcome, come on in. Hey, sit here in the comfortable seat, anywhere you want. Can I get you a cup of coffee? It's um, one of the reasons why I don't want to know. That's between you and the Lord, and it's between myself and the Lord as well. I think of the widow who gave two mites in Luke 21. And what I love about the account there in the temple that day is how astonished the disciples were when Jesus says of her, she gave more than anyone else. Now you got to picture the scene. In the temple at that time, they had a, a trumpet type of offering box or, you know, plate or whatever there in the temple. So when you would do your giving and place your coins and it would make lots of noise. 
And there were those who wanted to throw a lot in to make a lot of noise so everybody would look at them and go, ooh, ah, wow, did you hear how much he gave? And then here in the temple on this particular day walks in a poor widow. And she has two mites, which some believe would be the equivalent of less than one penny. Now think about that. What is a penny? It's almost like the copper in the penny is worth more than the penny itself nowadays, right? So if I happen to drop a penny on the ground, I'm not going to bother to pick it up. I just, you know, it's just it's too much work. It's just a penny. <laughs> and this, this widow gave less than that penny. And then Jesus says of her in Luke 21, it's recorded in verses 1 through 4. Let me read it. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in their offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in, listen, all the livelihood that she had. She gave it all. That was her grocery money. That was money that she could have used for food. The rich, conversely, gave out of their abundance. Here's the point. It's not how much we give. It's that we give. And I'll take it a step further and suggest that it's not how much we have. It's how much has us. It's not what's in our garage or the amount of money in our bank account. It's what's in our heart. And man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Many years ago when, this is even before, let's say, how do I say, I want to say BM because that's terrible, but it's before ministry. And it was actually BM before marriage too. And I was courting my wife. That's a, by the way, young people, that's a word for, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. I was courting my uh, soon-to-be wife. We courted for two years. Courted. We courted for two years. And uh, I was working for Mercedes-Benz at the time. And I had a company car. It was a beautiful Mercedes-Benz. Palomino leather interior. <laughs> Cabernet red exterior. This was a beautiful car. I listen. It, it was at the time. I it was something like fifty thousand dollars. I I couldn't. Oh, just to let you know that I also had my own house. I bought my own house. Uh, don't ooh and ah. This is in Spokane, Washington, in like nineteen eighty three. And I paid $40,000 for my house. And so the car I drove was actually in some ways worth more than the house that I owned. And I couldn't afford to even put 
license and registration on this Mercedes. And I, but boy, I love that. Well, I didn't. I mean, be careful here. <laughs> I really like that car a lot. How's that? Is that better? And so I picked up my uh, fiance in this car to go to church. And we're pulling up looking for a parking spot. And out runs this guy. And he knocks on the passenger side window. And with seemingly urgent urgency and so I just cracked it a little bit because, you know, Kelly's sitting in the passenger seat. And, you know, I like, what do you want? And he, he says to me, brother, you need to forgive me. He said, what'd you do? He says, I judged you. He said, I said, what? what? What are you judging me for? He said, well, I said to myself, you can't be a Christian and drive a car like that. I'm like, you can't? Well, pretty sure I'm a Christian. I'm pretty sure I'm driving a car like this. But I proceeded to tell him that I don't own it. It's just a company car, but it's a nice car. But it's one of those things where afterwards you think of a million things you could have said but didn't. Well, one of the things that I wish I would have said but didn't was, you know, I don't think God notices the kind of cars we drive. He's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at our hearts. Now, I don't drive those kinds of cars. Not that I don't have the liberty in Christ to do that. It's just that I don't think it sends the right message. And so I drive a Hyundai Sonata, which I bought after my Toyota Camry went to Toyota Heaven. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and it was a used car, and that's what I drive. At the uh, old church, we had a, a spot that was actually, it, it said pastor. It was reserved for pastor. And it was, of course, the SDA church's parking spot. So, But I thought, you know, why not? I, I'm, I'm the pastor, so I'll go ahead and park in the pastor's parking stall. And so I, I went, went to pull in one day, and somebody had taken my parking spot. And it wasn't so much of a problem that they had taken my parking spot. It's just that what was parked in my parking spot, it was a luxury car. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not good. <laughs> Here's this expensive luxury car parked in a stall that says, Pastor, you go, oh, I see how it is. You're one of those. <laughs> so I prayed, and then they painted, and then they took the pastor sign down, and then never put it back up. And I took that as an answer to prayer <laughs> so I could park there again. And if somebody else parked there, they wouldn't think it was my car. I like what one commentator said about this poor widow. He writes, that poor widow's might was beyond the rich man's magnificence because it came out of a richer mind. It came out of a richer mind. Before we jump into our text, I think we need to know the backstory because it'll be germane to our understanding of what's happening here at this time, particularly with the Corinthian church. During this time, the early church was experiencing tremendous poverty, especially the church in Jerusalem, and it was due chiefly to the fact that at that time there was a severe famine. There was another reason why the Jerusalem church was more impoverished than the other churches, and that's because 
many of the Jews who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ did so at a very high cost. It cost them their livelihood, their jobs for a Jew to become a Christian in that day. And it's not so much different today, but back in that day, it was unthinkable. You would be disowned by family. You would be terminated in your employment. If you had a business, nobody would come to your business and patronize your business. And so you would lose everything. And you would even lose family support, let alone financial income. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul will now address an offering that came from the Macedonia and Achaia churches to give to this impoverished Jerusalem church. It seems that Paul, one of the Gentile Christians in that area of which the Macedonian and Achaia Christians were, to have the opportunity to give to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to further build that bridge and that unity and that fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. So that's the backstory, and I think that with that, our text will come into sharper focus as we see how these Christians cheerfully gave, cheerfully, not grudgingly. And as we're about to see, they even, if you can imagine, pleaded with the Apostle Paul to give. That's really something. The first thing and the first reason, really, that they were like this is because these Christians saw giving as a gift, which is what giving is. Do you ever think of giving as a gift? It is one of the gifts, as we're about to see. But it's interesting to note in verse 1 that Paul makes mention of the Macedonian church's financial support being that of the grace of God and as a gift from God. We know that it's all of grace. We say it's all of grace. But if it's all of grace, then wouldn't it stand to reason that in the arena of giving, in the area of finances, that that is of grace as well? I think of the Proverbs that says that it is God who gives us the power to make wealth. It's the blessing of God that makes rich. And he has no trouble or sorrow to it. What Paul is saying here is that giving is a gift and that there are those to whom God has given the gift of giving. The gift of giving. We are so glad you joined us today for Pastor JD's continuing teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you'd like to learn more about the Apostle Paul's letter, we encourage you to continue reading ahead. As you do, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truths and promises contained in its verses to you. You can also hear additional messages from Pastor J.D. on this book by visiting our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Listen online or download these teachings to have available anytime. We've also created a mobile app as well for Apple and Android devices, so you can take Pastor J.D.'s teachings with you on the go. We'd also like to point you to the Aloha Prophecy Update tab on our website. And with more information, here's Pastor J.D. 
Thank you, Josh. One of the main reasons we do these prophecy updates is that we believe the rapture of the church can happen at any time. In fact, it may actually be closer than we even realize with all the things that are taking place in the world today. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said that when we see these things begin to come to pass, that we should look up and lift up our heads, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. We believe that Jesus was referring to that which is now happening in the world, especially geopolitically. It's my hope and prayer that these prophecy updates will be a source of encouragement to you as a listener, not only to ready you and steady you, but to share with others the lateness of the hour in these the last days of human history as we know it. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you will join us every week here at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. Head on over to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to access these updates. And be sure to join us next time on In Spirit and Truth for more from the book of 2 Corinthians.